Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio here on this first day of Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday, and I would draw your attention to page five of your bulletin where you're going to find our entire Holy Week schedule. I hope that you will take advantage of that and that you will come to be with us, not only having been here today, but also come and join us on Monday, Thursday and Good Friday, and then for our activities on Saturday as well, and then of course for our full service schedule on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday. It's hard to believe that the Easter is already upon us, but here it is, and we are pleased that God has called us together to be his people, to gather as his church, and to celebrate his goodness. Now, I realize that Holy Week seems in some ways here in San Antonio a little, maybe a little overshadowed at times by Fiesta Week. Did you all have a good Fiesta Week? I hope you all had a great time this week. You know, everyone loves a parade. And if you have been in San Antonio over the last, th over the last week, you have had plenty of them. The River Parade, the Battle of Flowers Parade, the Flambeau Parade, all these other little parades like the, like the Pooch Parade, I believe over in Terrell Hills, all of these parades all designed to celebrate this time of year and to bring us together as a city, to bring us together in kind of ways, in some ways, as, a, as a, an extended family during this fiesta time. But something very interesting happened to me just this past Friday at the Battle of Flowers Parade, at the Day Parade. When we were sitting there in the bleachers watching this parade, there were these two women who slipped in and sat in among our group. And it was fun. It, I mean, they're very nice. Was, we were glad to see them. There were plenty of seats, so it wasn't any big deal. But it was funny because, because they started asking a lot of questions. And at first, I, at first, well, all right, I'm from the South, and I picked up an accent. I could tell they were from somewhere else. They weren't from around here. I'm thinking perhaps Michigan. And they started asking questions. I mean, they were obviously having a good time, but, but it was these two ladies who had come into town just for the weekend, and they wanted to get away from the, from the cold northern weather, and so they had shown up here in San Antonio during Fiesta Week. But boy, did they have a lot of questions for the people sitting around them. And I can understand this, these questions because I haven't been here all that long. I'm still learning a little bit about Fiesta, but, but here's some of the questions they were asking. What is Fiesta all about? What is this battle of flowers? And it was, this was an interesting one. They were saying, where is the Alamo? We said, it's right behind you. <laughs> I said, you know, why is that girl over there wearing all those medals? Who are these girls on the floats? Who is King Antonio? Who is Ray Feo? Who are these ladies running around in big yellow floppy hats? Why are there so many parades after all? And why are we having this parade today? What does all of this mean? They had all these questions and we were all of us sitting around them. We're trying to answer, trying to give them our best answers, realizing that maybe we didn't know all the answers to all these questions. But the point was, even though they didn't understand the meaning behind all of it, they were kind of swept up in the excitement of Fiesta and the Battle of Flowers parade. Well, the fact is everybody loves a parade. And Palm Sunday is a parade Sunday. It's the day that we celebrate Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem in a parade. 
But as we read this story, we may be wondering too, like those ladies from Michigan, what does it all mean? Why had all these people come to see Jesus? And why were they hailing him as king? So only a week or so before Jesus came to Jerusalem, Jesus had been in the town of Bethany. And there, Jesus had performed one of his greatest miracles. He had raised his friend Lazarus, dead and decomposing. For four days, he had raised him from the tomb. And the crowd that had gathered at the gate of Jerusalem that day, that Sunday before Passover, had come to see him. This man who was reported to have raised another from the dead. The Gospel of John says that the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason, listen listen to verse 18 of chapter 12, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. This crowd was gathered because they wanted to see this miracle worker with their own eyes. And this was Jesus' red carpet moment. Jesus had come to Jerusalem as an ordinary pilgrim to celebrate Passover. He came as a Jew among Jews, born of woman, born under the law, just like everybody else. But they greeted him like a celebrity. Now, much to the frustration of his enemies, Jesus was becoming quite famous. He was becoming quite well-known. The Pharisees even said, look, the whole world is following after him. Jesus was an extraordinary teacher who had had performed unexplainable signs of power, miracles of healing and feeding, doing battle with demons, and now raising the dead. And the people were beginning to wonder if he was more than just a pilgrim. Was he maybe a prophet or maybe even the answer to some prophecy? Remember that centuries earlier, the prophet Zechariah had foretold, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Was this teacher, this carpenter from Nazareth who commanded wind and wave, life and death, was he in fact the promised king Israel had been waiting for? The people shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, in a desperate hope that Jesus was, in fact, more than just another pilgrim, and he was, in fact, Israel's prophetic king who would usher in the day of the Lord and push out the hated Romans and restore Israel's rightful glory as the new King David. All this is going on as the people gathered to welcome him with with palm branches. What's going on with this parade? At the time, John the disciple confessed that he and the other disciples had no idea what was going on. Speaking for himself in the third person, John says, his disciples, including me, did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they, we, remembered that he had done these things that they had been written down about him and that he and had been done to him 
John admitted that Jesus had come for reasons that the disciples did not even see or grasp until much later. There was something happening on a much deeper level. Now, the book of Hebrews, which we've been studying for the last several months, shows us how the events of Jesus' life and how the events of Palm Sunday and Holy Week fulfill the purposes and promises of God on that deeper level. And it shows us that Jesus came to Jerusalem, not simply as a teacher, not simply as a pilgrim, not even simply as a prophetic king, but as the new high priest of God. Let's look at our second scripture reading for today. If you would, please turn to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. You can read along with me in your bulletin, or you may read, along, read from the screens before you. The author of Hebrews writes this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. O oh Lord, as Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem, may your word penetrate our hearts and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. John and the other gospel writers tell us what happened on that Palm Sunday before Passover, telling us part of the story, but only the part of the story that we can see. But the book of Hebrews tells us what was going on under the surface, behind the scenes, in the real but spiritual dimension that we cannot see. And once again, the author of Hebrews is using this strange Old Testament language of priests, of sacrifices, of tabernacle and rituals, of blood and ashes to explain the significance of what Jesus has done. In Jerusalem... The job of the temple priests was to offer sacrifices and prayers on behalf of the people. Some offerings were just gifts to God, gifts of gratitude and celebration, thanking God for his blessings and honoring his holiness. Others were sacrifices for sin, blood sacrifices given in repentance by people seeking atonement and God's forgiveness for crimes both small and great. On the altar of the temple, the priests sacrificed 
hundreds of lambs, hundreds of cattle, hundreds of doves, day after day, week after week, year after year. So much blood, all as commanded by God for the sins and offerings of the people. That was the job of the priests, but it was the job of the high priest once a year to go from the outer sanctuary of the temple into the one place no other person or priest could go, taking the blood of the animals into the most sacred place, into that innermost chamber of the temple called the Holy of Holies, where there he would throw himself before the Lord and pray for the forgiveness of the people. Once a year, he went where no other person or priest could go to do what no other person or priest could do. But now, says the author of Hebrews, now the Son of God has come, and he is our new high priest. The new high priest has come to Jerusalem and he has come to throw himself before the Lord one last time to make one last sacrifice for the sake of his people. But this sacrifice was not the shed blood of goats and calves, but his own precious blood, his own sinless life, the lamb without blemish, given in trade for our broken, sin-filled lives. He made the sacrifice that no high priest before him could have made. And he went where no human high priest could go, not just to the most holy place of the temple, but as Hebrews says, but into the heavenly chamber, into the most holy presence of God himself. Jesus had come to Jerusalem as our new high priest to go where no one else could go and to do what no one else could do. He came from outside of Jerusalem to make one final sacrifice, but not on the altar of the temple mount, but on a Roman cross on the hill of Golgotha. He went into Jerusalem all the way to the cross to give his life as a sacrifice for our sin. And then just as the high priest went into the holiest part of the temple for the sake of the people, so Jesus went into the city and he didn't stop until he got to the cross. The Gospel of Matthew reports that when Jesus died upon the cross, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then verse 12 tells us what no human eye saw that day. That when Jesus died, he entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. Thus securing our eternal redemption. Jesus not only entered Jerusalem, but by his own blood, he entered into the holiest presence of God. He went where no one else could go to do what no one else could do. He entered once for all 
into the holy presence of God, both on earth and in heaven. Now, in addition to the historical level to this story, telling us the events of Palm Sunday, and in addition to the spiritual level of this story described by Hebrews, there's also a personal level to this story. Not only did Jesus go where no one else could go, he did for us what no priest before could do. The author of Hebrews points out that the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer were good for the, pur- for the purification of the flesh. In other words, while the old system was good enough to atone for the sins of the past, it only went skin deep. It was not enough to restore eternal life. The sacrifice of Jesus, on the other hand, went all the way to the heart. Look at verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The old system only went as deep as the flesh. But the sacrifice of Jesus Christ cuts all the way to the conscience. Now, if we think about it, we will all know that there are two levels at which people can change. The first is on the level of what they do, and the second is on the level of who they are. The old sacrificial system dealt with what people do. The old system was enough to take away the penalty for sin, that is, until we sin again. But it did not take away the guilt. It didn't take away the regret. It didn't take away the shame or the destruction of sin. No system of penance or restitution is good enough to fix a traumatized soul or a broken heart. It cannot restore your own heart And it cannot restore the relationships that have been shattered. No amount of of charity or good deeds can heal the wounds of abuse or take away the guilt so often that haunts us. The old system washed away ritual uncleanness, but it did not change our rebellious nature. In other words, it may have paid the fines, but it didn't fix the problems. Now, the new covenant is different. This new high priest and his new system is different because the new covenant is about who we are. Here is a deliberate contrast between the flesh and the conscience, between our behavior, what we do, and our will, who we are. Your behavior is what you do or say. But your conscience is that deep character that controls how we act, what we prioritize, what we really believe, and the decisions about what we will say and do. The conscience is the fountain from which our behavior flows, the vine from which our fruit grows. 
Consider this, a mean person can occasionally do nice things. And a nice person can occasionally do mean things. I remember hearing a story about an old fella in a town who was, he was just, he was just mean to everybody. And the pastor in town, when the guy died, the pastor in town felt like you have to say something nice about everybody at their funeral, right? And so the only thing you could say, think to say about, about this old man, he said, well, you know, old Bill, he wasn't as mean all of the time as he was most of the time. But character is that part that shows itself. In the end, one's true character is shown. A mean person can be nice occasionally, a nice person can be mean occasionally, but over the long run, the true character will show itself. Conscience is that innermost faculty that, de that defines my perceptions of right or wrong, of good or evil, of loves and value. You know, whatever... Exterior, uh, exterior rules or morality or righteousness or doctrine, I dare to profess. It is my conscience that ultimately determines my decisions because it is the conscience that is that little voice that says, do it or don't do it. You know, we may be on our best behavior, obeying the law to avoid penalty, doing good for our own advantage, but as long as we have a will or a conscience that is willing to defy God, that's willing to compromise his truth or go against his direction or give in to temptation or manipulate his truth when the wind changes direction, we have a conscience that is unclean and rebellious. Ultimately, as long as my conscience overrides God's command, it is broken. That's why Paul says we must destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to obey Christ. A purified conscience, as referenced in Hebrews, is a conscience that loves what God loves, that hates what God hates, that trusts him above everything else and seeks his will above all things. It is a character that takes delight in his children and joy in his glory and his righteousness, that takes God seriously and loves to follow him in all his ways. Now, I know that a lot of you in this room grew up, grew up with the old Disney movie, Pinocchio. And you remember Jiminy Cricket singing, Always let your conscience be your guide. How many of you remember that? Yeah. Let me ask you this. If you always let your conscience be your guide, who guides your conscience? Is your conscience of the Lord or is it just an amalgamation of your own experiences and opinions? People can control what they do, but only Christ can change who we are. That's why Jesus didn't just give his life to forgive your sins. He gave his life to transform your conscience. So many people think, you know, I want to be forgiven, but I don't want to change. You may have trusted Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, but is he transforming your heart? Is he purifying your conscience? Jesus Christ, our new high priest, has done what no other priest could ever do. 
He not only paid the penalty for sin that I could never pay by his grace. He goes into that deepest place in my conscience to restore my broken spirit. By his strength, he comforts my traumatized soul. By his suffering, he gives me everything I need. By his calling, he shows me my purpose. By his forgiveness, he silences my shame. And by his death on the cross, he has shown me what I am worth. And by his love, he calls me his child. Jesus, our high priest, goes into that innermost, most holy, most vulnerable, most secret, most broken and rebellious, most hidden part of ourselves and says, peace, be still. The redemption of Jesus Christ is not only about the forgiveness of sins. It's about the restoration of the image of God in his children. The sacrifice of Jesus not only satisfied the justice of God, Christ also secures my eternal redemption and sets me free to live a whole new way. Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Beloved, there is so much division. There is so much brokenness in our world right now, not just in war-torn places like Ukraine, but in our own lives, in our own community, in our own families, and even in our own church. We need restoration. Not just in ourselves, but in our relationships. We need the deep healing that no other priest, only Jesus, our high priest, can give. Healing that begins with the confession of our own brokenness and then turns to Jesus for transformation. Not just healing that is skin deep, but healing that is soul deep and goes straight to our conscience. Beloved, what are you holding back? Jesus did not just stand outside of Jerusalem preaching judgment on Israel and our world. No, Jesus went into the city, straight into the heart of the temple, into the heart of the city, even though he knew exactly what it would cost him. Christ became our new high priest, to do what the old system and the old high priests could not do. To show us that the salvation and the love of God is more than skin deep. you pray with me? Oh Lord, as we come to you today, we are reminded that you did not stay on the safe outskirts or suburbs of the city, but you went into the heart of the city to sacrifice yourself on our behalf. Lord, let us not be satisfied with the superficial cleansing or washing away of our sins. Help us to understand, O oh Lord, that you want to go deeper into the transformation of our conscience. Lord, help us to see that your, your grace, your love, is not just skin deep, but soul deep. We pray these things in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
Amen.